I can feel a rant of brewing. And for once, it's not coming from me. Kevin Sheedy, you are my target. I'm going to take an umbrage at you for a couple of reasons, and mainly because I just think it's you being the master of deflection with regards to how badly your team's done this year. Zero wins. There's a chance to be the first team since Fitzroy to go through a season undefeated, although as we speak, they're actually in front of the doggies, but anyway... (laughs) Yeah, I might have to edit that part yeah. out. <laughs> uh, now, you were adamant at the start of the year, this whole situation with regards to Jack Martin and Jaeger O'Meara. Look, that teams would regret not giving up talent in order to secure those guys and that, you know, you've done big favour to the to the boys up the road. And, yeah, which in hindsight is actually pretty silly mm. because they're the only team that's probably going to have a premiership window that mirrors the, uh, the team that you've put together. Yeah. Now, I, I can understand why said I find it a bit disappointing that other teams didn't come to the world but when you hear what they were expecting to get for the rights to draft these kids who would be ineligible for a year anyway I mean he's just lost the plot I think Dementia's finally set in Kev now why the hell would a team like Collingwood who are in a premiership window give up a Dale Thomas or a Ben Reid or a Scott Pendlebury for the chance to draft a 17 year old kid who they can't play it just makes no sense and it's the same with you know Carlson with Cruiser and all of these guys the reality is Kev you overvalued these picks you also overvalued how good your kids were going to be and you're paying the price whether you like it or not the donut the donut of wins that's sitting in your column right now the donut of points Kev it's all on you buddy donut argue yes I'm sorry, Kev. And to hear the whole thing with the, you know, our number one pick is up for sale. Come to us with your best offer. I guarantee you this. I don't reckon they'll trade that pick. I reckon that they will want so much for that pick that every other team just no, walks no away. No be willing to foot the bill. Yeah. Yep. Kev, Kev, it's a good thing you're retiring, buddy. <laughs> Bear cares. Well, quite frankly, it looks Chopo, like you've Chopo already Williams retired. wouldn't have pulled that sort of shit. Yeah. <laughs> Give it up, Kev. The seagulls are fine, Kev. Ah! <laughs> Interested to hear your thoughts on this particular summary of uh, the performance of the big band, the head honcho, Andy D. I'm trying to think of a nickname which, yeah, suitably summarises my hate for him and I, I'm just drawing a blank, literally. Anyway. I was saying to you before, every time he just opens his mouth and says anything now, it just drives my blood pressure up into the mid to high 200s. It's ridiculous. Bear with me. So this is a this is a response to people talking about Andy D and his role and whether he should resign or not. So now folks start sticking up for him. Barking, laughable. Anything for an argument. Rugby League got a billion plus over five years as well, so don't give AD all the credit for that deal. Here's the things that have happened under his watch. The appointment of inept twits serving under him. The rules and interpretation of them have been in tatters under his watch. The MRP panel is farcical. The tribunal know better. For taking out every unique nuance that made Australian rules football what it used to be. The umpires should have been made full-time professionals and made accountable so that we do not have to put up with substandard rubbish week in, week out. The Melbourne tanking saga. The way the myth should Rendell debacle was handled. The illicit drugs policy and the laughable loopholes and cover-ups. The Kurt Tippett affair, which may or may not have been known 
known by them before it was made public. The completely unfair fixture in which predetermines half of who rises and who does not. The constant avoidance of actually dealing with issues until they make their way into the public forum. This PED marathon for which the leaks and cover-ups chase each other around like a wet circus. The state of the game is only in great shape due to the clubs and players and the historical ingrained love that resides in his fan. Nah, he's great. I think he's being sarcastic there at the end, isn't he? Yeah, I'm thinking so. Mm. Wow, that's quite a shit list. I I might have to ring home and just let them know I'm going to be late for Christmas lunch because it's probably going to take me that long to go through all of them. But, well, can I just say I agree wholeheartedly with everything you said? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean... Yeah, the the Orwellian state that the AFL has become under the iron fist of one Andrew Demetrio is is probably one of the single most uh, yeah major sources of frustration and anger for me as a as a lover of sport in general, but particularly in the winter months as a follower of AFL. Um, the biggest thing that just bugs me so much is that he is answerable to no one, and that anything that happens where there could be a hint of controversy or something gone wrong, or you know. The AFL coming off in a less than, um, you know, less than positive manner. That's when just the AFL propaganda machine just spins into action. Tim Watson came out this week and actually said that AFL is more um, is more adept at leaking and controlling information than major political parties are, and he's spot on the money about that. It, it, yeah, it really is an Orwellian state because not only are there well, yeah, that litany of debacles that have gone on under his watch, you know, any one of which would probably be enough to well, if not end the tenure of any other major sports CEO anywhere in the world, and make his position pretty bloody tenuous, but... Yeah, you've got all that going on, but at the same time, you've then also got the journos who are supposed to report and critique these events. They're on the AFL payroll, because what happens if they report something the AFL doesn't like? Then suddenly, they don't get access to players. They don't get fed, you know, the exclusives on any breaking um, news and information and that. They're left out of the loop. So, not only do they here have all these shortcomings that have um, occurred on his watch, but there's also, I guess, no way of him being held accountable or being judged for what's happened or even you know any sort of free speech on the issues because essentially what happens if someone does speak out then either they're bringing the game into disrepute and they get slapped with a fine or in the case of journos they just become persona non grata and they decide oh well we'll um you know we'll just give Luke Darcy or you know any other half-witted former player the interview and exclusive rights instead because God knows the general public really want to see four former players in these journalism roles. Because they're, they're so well qualified for it. Oh, they are. I mean... And, uh, you know, and yes, clearly, you know... Barry Hall actually said a two-syllable word the other day. I mean, yeah. you can't teach that. Yeah, well, you can, but... <laughs> no, you can't teach him that, though. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, I mean, for me, the other, the other big one, and this is the biggest one for me, is just how many millions, millions of dollars were flushed down the human toilet that is Israel Folau. And what was their return? on investment for that. Well, Greater Western Sydney in general at this particular point in time. But yeah. him in particular though yeah. because he was supposed to be their, their marquee player who was going to you know, bring lovers and followers of NRL in those northern states to this game of Australian 
rules football. He is possibly the worst player of all time in the history of the AFL. If anything, he actually he actually convinced fans to say stay away because they saw what a laughing stock the competition was. If someone like him, who was just had no talent whatsoever, was actually getting a regular game in the side's best twenty-two. But more importantly, it's like where is the I guess the due process of people analysing that decision, looking at how much money was spent on that, assessing the ROI, and I guess holding Demetrio accountable for the results of it. Interesting point about Flower. I don't know if he's the worst player of all time, but relative to his pay packet, you'd have to say he's yeah. definitely there. Uh, yeah. I don't really know quite, quite what to say to that. I like the way you went about that. <laughs> it was so brave. Brave. Wasn't it? So brave. Well, unfortunately, we've now just pretty much confirmed that the Blowpod will not be getting access to any um, players for post-match interviews down in the rooms. No, jeez. And to be honest, that's probably the only reason people are listening are to we, us. Are we, are we, so I really want to go down to the change rooms and hear oh. Joel Selwood wax lyrical about how they're going to take it one game at a time and just keep trying oh, to do say. the team thing and happy to bob up and just contribute to the overall performance of the team. You know, the sort of just, yeah, um, the sort of just bland, utterly meaningless dribble that gets that gets spewed out by every single player in every single post-match interview conducted. You know, has anyone ever made a statement of note in well, one of those interviews? I was about to say, if, if we've lost our access, we're certainly richer for having e- lost exactly. our access. Exactly. Now we might actually be able to report something of interest or of note. Yeah, so... It's... The whole damn system's broken. That's the problem. Yeah, well, that's right. And the and much like the Essendon saga, the guys and who are driving the uh, driving the bus are the ones inevitably and responsible for the car. Yeah crash that's about to happen. We have discussed this as well. When this whole saga started to unfold I actually thought finally for once the AFL's hands will be tied. There will be a you know external um, authority coming in and dictating the terms and telling them you know how exactly things are going to have to be done. Instead the AFL has basically controlled this whole process from start to finish. Mm. They are the ones who are going to determine exactly what the penalties are, exactly who is to blame for it clearly because James Hurd still has a job somehow and the timing with which these things will be handed down in order to coincidentally enough remove Essendon from the final series without impacting on I guess the legitimacy of any of the home and away fixtures that precede it it's all quite convenient isn't it yeah. god forbid that you know the second this thing broke say in round three or whatever sort of other inconvenient time it was they just up and said you know what you guys have taken performance enhancing drugs we are going to follow the precedent set by every single other sport on the planet. You guys are all banned for the rest of the season. And the reason we're doing this is because the only way that we are going to stamp out drugs in sport is by taking the most hard line approach every single time. Yeah, that's what every other sport has done. Is now the time to segue into this because I think that it's, it's really, really important that we realise what's going on here and what's at stake. It's, it's, it's broader than the AFL. The let's, AFL. Let's not kid ourselves. But the reality is, is that they've got to swipe and they have to swipe incredibly hard at Essendon here to set the precedent. You know, as I've said before, jokingly, admittedly, essentially what's stopped clubs from injecting players with AOD 9604 this year? Nothing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely nothing. Because there's been no sanctions or no punishments put in front of Essendon for doing that. Mm. So doesn't that therefore make it fair game for anyone and everyone to do this as of right now? 
Except Ahmed, Ahmed Saad. Yeah, except for poor Ahmed Saad. Yeah. yeah. Who drank because pro- one single St. Kilda player who won't have any impact on the amount yeah. of money that Demetrio is raking drank, in. Accidentally drunk a protein shake the morning of the game yeah. when he's allowed to do it any other time he wants. Yeah. It's, yeah, look, uh, it's, look, I mean, the, the thing that actually pisses, I mean, look, I'm pissed off by Demetrio's stance on this. The other thing that I'm really, really pissed off is the hubris that Essendon have tackled this entire thing with. Now, if they are guilty, I am hoping that everybody throws the book at them, then picks it up and throws it at them again because they have been so fucking arrogant throughout this entire process they better make sure they got their ducks in a row because if not everybody should be going them and going them hard because they have disgraced the competition with what they have done and they have disgraced it further by how they have responded to every single query that has come up in relation to what they have done and the fact that Golden boy Jimmy Hurd still has a job. That's an even bigger disgrace. He should have been removed straight away. He said in February he would take full accountability and full responsibility for everything that happened. And yet everybody else, apart from him, seems to have been dismissed from the club. And he walks around answering questions about all of these things with the smug smile you will ever see. And it's unacceptable. See, I actually tie all of that that you just said back to Demetrio because he's the one who sets that standard. If he had made it clear that the AFL did not condone this in any way, shape or form, that Essendon were in deep shit Mm. and that there was going to be hell to pay, then Essendon would not have had that opportunity to demonstrate all this hubris. That hubris stems from the fact that they know that the AFL is, is sort of, you know, playing ball with them. Yeah, look, they know that they're on side. Mm. So I think if Demetrio had come out right from the start of this and basically drawn a line in the sand mm. and just said, we are investigating this matter. James Hurd is suspended without notice because he, as the coach, needs to take overall responsibility for what happened. Yep. The players will be allowed to continue playing while this investigation is finalised, but then there will be sanctions and penalties imposed. And basically, you know, making it absolutely explicitly clear that what Essendon have done is cheating. It's it's taking performance-enhancing drugs. They are drug cheats. Instead, what's happened is that the waters have just all been muddied yeah. by, oh, you know, Joe Watson can go on Foxtel on Monday night and admit he took this substance, but then still come out and play the next week. Oh, James Hur can say in February that he takes responsibility for it, but then essentially dictate that everyone else at the club knew what was going on except him. I mean, it's one of two things. Either he knew exactly what was going on and he drove it, which I think is absolutely the case, mm. or alternatively, he's such a god-awful fucking useless coach that he actually has no idea what is going on in terms of the drugs and supplements program that Essendon were running, in which case he should be sacked for incompetence anyway. Yeah. And and regardless case, of whether and, he knew what was going on, and, it happened on his watch. Know, and Stephen Dank should be getting sued to within a million mm. to within a millionth of every cent that he ever actually earned. But I mean, even things like, um, you know, the weapon, he should now just be known as the scapegoat. Yeah. Because it is clear that the AFL are just trying to pin all the blame 
and all the responsibility and all the sanctions and all the penalties on these, you know, these set specific four guys. Mm. The fact is, Dean Robinson's lawyer went on the news the other night and said it is disgraceful that James Hurd's team and his, um, yeah, lawyers have received copies of the Asada report. Not only has Dean Robinson not received a copy, but when his legal team have requested copies from the AFL and the other authorities, they've been denied access to them. Now, tell me, that doesn't just smack of them slipping it to James Hurd under the table just to make sure he knows exactly what's going on, mm. keeping him in the loop while keeping the, you know, the Look, specified uh, scapegoat in the dark and making sure that he's going to take the blame for all this. And, you know, you make, you're bringing these guys into the situation. And, look, let's, let's, let's take the stance that Essendon would like you to believe is the situation, which is that in the worst-case scenario, well, in the simplest-case scenario for them, Dank and Robinson went rogue, OK? Let's assume that everyone else had no involvement in anything else and this all happened because Dank and Robinson went rogue. Who was responsible for bringing them into the organisation in the first place? (laughs) You have to ask that question because it's an incredibly... In terms of what's happened... You don't have to ask that question. Well, that's... It's it's the coach. Yeah, that's right. It's that simple. There's no question. Shouldn't... In in, in almost any other organisation that you would would work in... His position would be untenable. Well, it would be untenable or he would be getting his ass kicked out the door, which is more than likely what would happen. Mm. So... You know, and we do, you know, I know that Essendon are, are doing everything they can to discredit the scapegoat and Dank, but let's put this into context as well. Let's say that let's let's you know, there's I think that both of those guys have said what they believe the truth to be. Now let's say that the actual purest form of the truth is maybe twenty percent of what that they've said. Mm-hmm. Just on that twenty percent, if only twenty percent of what they said is true, Hurt is in deep, deep shit. Yeah. And then like further more to that, what really, really pisses me off is this idea that Hurd and Essendon in general are just heroic yeah. and brave and they're the team of little Aussie battlers fighting against the odds, you know, mm. struggling to overcome the distractions and possible ramifications of the fact that they are drug cheats. Mm. Like, it's one thing for the AFL to let this go unpunished, but it's another thing altogether for them to be somehow viewed in a, this, yeah, almost the, the victim. They're playing the victim role. Mm. Like, how in in any way, shape or form should we be admiring them, you know, applauding their tenacity and their ability to continue to yeah. perform under duress and stuff like that and how dare, when they've cheated? And how dare anybody have the gall to boo a notified drug cheat? You know, Who's had, admitted, yeah. specifically mi- admitted yeah. that he took a banned performance enhancing substance yeah. and he's then, not only is he then allowed to come out and play the next week, but there is no comment, no official, you know, remark or response made from the AFL whatsoever. Mm. It's almost like they just, you know, closed their eyes, got their hands over their ears and are just hoping the whole thing's going to go away. Mm. So I think, yeah, look, and as you say, I think that this is... This is the type of situation that you need a strong leader. And you need the leader to get out there up front and well, act. It's moral integrity, though. That's all it comes down to. Mm. I think Demetrio has clearly shown that he cares more about ensuring that he can continue to rake in the dollars and, and rake in the, the, the gate attendances and all the other bloody um, metrics by which their KPIs are now um, assessed and by which their bonuses are paid. So they, they've decided on these measures themselves and then have rigged the system to ensure that they meet 
meet them. It's the fact, yeah. I mean, it's, look, it's him just coming through over the top and, I think, and basically saying, oh, you know, in terms of the AFL has the world-leading policies, strategies and initiatives. We have a, a drug code that is, you know, the envy of other sports everywhere in the world. But when here, when it's come time to put that into practice, he's just seen the potential, you know, he's almost just thought, oh, well, that's going to be way too difficult. That's, that's going to lead to problems, you know. Oh, we might not get nine games a week. It's, it's going to be very, very hard to sort of maintain a credible league during this time. Let's just not do anything about it. Mm. You cannot take that stance. And that brings me to, I guess, my final point, which is the AFL have already brought the game into disrepute more so than any other player or any other event in the history of this sport has by their failure to act mm. on, this, um, mm. on this issue for so long. Regardless of what happens from here, regardless of whether every single Essendon player and their dogs and their children and their children's children are never allowed to set foot onto a football field again, the fact that they have sat on their hands for this long and done absolutely nothing about it has already done irreparable damage yeah. to the integrity of the sport. I'm just, just going to add one point to that and then I'm going to wrap up. The first one is, and in re- regards to that, is why has it taken so long to get to where we are today given everything that's happened up to that point? They it's believed, it just before the finals. Yeah, it, when it's believed that they knew about this about this time last year, essentially it's taken them a year to do that. Yeah. That's disgraceful. But my final point, I'm going to re- revert back to what we started this discussion with because I think that this is the important takeout for Andy D and he better never, ever forget this because his career depends on it. The state of the game is only in great shape due to the clubs and players and the historical ingrained love that resides in its fans. He's losing that and he's losing that fast. But that's the problem. I don't think he is because at the end of the day, people still want to follow Australian rules football. People still want to go to the MCG and cheer for their team, you know. They want to do these things. So I never think we're going to get to the stage where people will start, you know, switching off from watching the game and not showing up. I actually beg to differ. I think that he's actually at a very, very critical tipping point right here. And if he doesn't do the right thing, whatever that is deemed to be by the individuals, that the AFL brand will take a hit that it may never, ever recover from. And either way, the fans deserve better, the players deserve better, and lovers of the sport deserve better. A hell of a lot better than what he's been providing. We've got a bit of an updated uh, criticism to to launch at Amy. Yeah, we actually uh, we actually recorded something in the past about how horrendous Amy ads were, but it never actually saw the light of day, believe it or not. Oh, well, so, either way, it must have gotten through to them somehow, because they decided, Stinson-esque, challenge accepted, we're going to come up with an even more horrendous commercial. The Amy driver trading ads, what can, what can we say, you know? <sighs> Where do we start? Which one do we want to start with? Do you want to start the women or the men? Perhaps I'll put it this way. The last three seconds of both ads are pretty good. Yeah, when Amy everything comes else, up on the screen. Yeah, everything and else. For the record, you would be cut. lucky to be with Obi. True that. That's M-Y or... No. <laughs> you get the point. Yeah. Last three seconds. But, yeah, the, the first 20-odd seconds before it, train wreck. I mean, the only, perhaps, the only one good thing about this new one is that it does actually make it clear that the younger guy in the second car is supposed to be the same person yeah. as the, um, yeah, the older version in the, in the better car. Yeah. Because I only realised when I saw the second ad that that was, in fact, the point the first ad was trying to make. What's the point the first ad was I didn't realise that... Oh, my God! was the same girl as 
Yeah, yeah just the past version of the woman giving a yeah. freaky-looking glance out of the car. Yeah. So not only have you come up with a shithouse commercial, but one of the key messages that you're trying to communicate in that it's the same person yeah. wasn't made clear at all. Can I... Can I... There's something I want to throw into this mix as well. The thing that bugs me the most about that, both of these ads, they pull up to an intersection and there's absolutely no cars moving in either direction. Driver, tra- driver training 101. You both <laughs> failed for not proceeding through the intersection. That's, that's exactly right. And so, what are you waiting for? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, I tell you, yeah, as I, you know, in the privacy, it's like, you're almost, you're almost yearning for the days of Ronda and Katut the sex slave to... Uh, I'll tell you what I'm yearning for is for a Mack truck to come storming through that intersection yeah. and just wipe both of them out. Yeah. Particularly out in this second ad where the guy sort of kangaroo hops at halfway into the intersection. Oh, yeah. Just think, you know, oncoming truck, just yeah. wipe out the front half of his car. Yeah. Nice car, mate. Nice driving. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice driving. Yeah. Nice driving. Buddy hopping is always good for the soul. Yeah. Uh, uh, let, but, perhaps let's just say this. The awkward and uh, embarrassed expression on that guy's face when he stalls his car, that's yeah. pretty much the entire country's reaction to seeing that second ad. Yeah, yeah. Don't try to be fronting Obi. You fail. Yeah. Fail. And when your first ad is shithouse, don't try and expand it into an ongoing going series. Yeah. I know it worked with Katut, but... You well, know, you, you think it worked with Katut, but it did. Well, it did kind of, you know. Yeah. Just the, the additional hints towards him taking Ronda up the arse throughout the <laughs> progression of that, um, yeah. you know, commercial yeah. series. That was something to look forward to. Like, oh, I wonder whether they've tried anal in this uh, car plows into her from behind. Yep, definitely they have. So yeah. that was something you could actually, you know, look forward to each new ad in the series. Yeah. I can tell you right now, I'm not looking forward to anything from the third ad in this series other than the aforementioned last three seconds. Yes. There you go, Amy. Just you know put that on loop, like, yeah. ten times over. Yeah. Maybe I can finish off before the commercial ends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to say anything more on that. I've got a bone to pick with uh, the Essendon Football Club. Just one? Just one, Yeah. Well, yeah. well I, I have one, and it's one in going picture. to be the last bone standing, James yeah. Heard. But um, the the thing that annoys me is advertising their, their TV show in inverted commas, The Hangout, saying that it's access all areas. Where's the access to the pep shed? I think Asada wants to know that as well, <laughs> just quietly. Yeah, what? <laughs> access all areas, my ass. Mm. False advertising, god yeah. damn it. All I can say about Essendon right now is that by the end of the season, I think James Heard is going to be the only one employed there because it looks like yeah. they're just going to sack everyone else until he's, la- yeah, last man standing. Yeah. We're going to find out how good Brendan Goddard is. Yeah. He might be the only guy playing for him. Yeah. No, look, I've commented extensively on this on Twitter and a few other medium, mediums or media, mm. as, a, as the plural of the word, word should be. Yeah, sort of just... Lost my train of thought there completely, didn't I? Need yeah. some more peptides. But um, as far as I'm concerned, the only question should be whether they ban him for life or ban him for two years. And the fact that not even that's happening, well, some would say it all ties back to the fact that Andrew Demetrio's son was spotted wearing an Essendon scarf earlier in the mm. season. So, And I, I want to know, if this isn't bringing the game into disrepute, what the hell do you have to do to with, bring with, the game into disrepute? Every week that goes past and there are no sackings and no um, repercussions, the game just slips further into disrepute. While the AFL look the other way and prepare their propaganda machine to sweep the whole fucking thing under the carpet once they start to release their findings. It's yeah. a disgrace. 
DRS under the microscope once again. Dan, I know you're you're certainly someone who has a very strong stance on the matter. Well, it's become clear that it barracks for England over the last few weeks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm surprised, yeah, there isn't like one line under each letter of the DRS. Yeah. But, uh, look... It's been a problem, hasn't it? Yeah. The, that's been the number one take-out from this series. Well, other than how shit Mitchell Stark is. has definitely been the, the review system in general, the entire process. And I think, at the end of the day, you can talk about the, I guess, the specifics of it and the minutiae of how it works and, you know, exactly what's going on there. But I just think the single biggest problem with this review system is that the overall objective should be to make the right decision. That's what it should yep. be. We should be trying to ultimately achieve the correct decision. And That's... use and utilise all the technology to ensure that that happens. Yeah. If that means you have to wait three minutes for something instead of making a decision within a minute and a half, well, if you're fully committed to the cause, then you need to give the umpires all of the information to make the correct call. Well, yeah. I mean, I guess then it raised the question of whether that's feasible, but... You know, just going back to the, the overall... Well, it's if just, the purpose is to make the correct decision, then surely it's it's all or nothing. You get everything or you get nothing. But, no, I think my point, though, is that the purpose is to make the correct decision, regardless yeah. of how much or how little technology you have available. Yeah. The objective should be, we want to get this decision right. That's not what the decision review system is doing at the moment. Mm. What this system is doing is saying, we want to prove that the decision of the unfield umpire was correct. So rather than saying, all right, objective 101, one, we want to get this right. It's currently saying, okay, we're going to take the decision made by the on-field umpire and then we're just basically going to check and make sure there isn't enough evidence mm. to prove that it was incorrect. Yeah. So it's not about on the you know basis of everything that we've captured, what is the correct decision. It's, okay, this is what the first decision is. Is there enough to sort of disprove that? And I just think... It's, it's asked about... That's such an asked about way of thinking about is. the problem. And I think... At the end of the day, if you want the umpires to be getting the decisions right, then rather than using technology in order to prove them right as often as possible, then you should just be maintaining that authority that they have over the game and removing the player's right to just question it and undermine it. Mm. Uh, no, I'm fucking this up. Ugh. Yeah, look, I mean, that, I think that that's a really, really important point, is that just the whole way that the process gets called for is, it just screams petulance to me. I'm going to stand in the middle, as a batsman, I'm going to stand in the middle of the pitch, and I'm going to basically cross my arms. Yeah. Sorry, where can I go? But I mean, just in terms of that overall aim of the system, if it's to get the decision right, rather than trying to, I guess, validate the on-field umpire, that's what it should be. Right now what's happening is that he's doing everything in its power to just back up that on-field umpire. And if, at the end of the day, if you want to enforce the decision of the on-field umpire, then there's a very simple way to do it. It's re- remove the review system altogether. That's the only way you can do it with yeah. 100% certainty, that's for sure, yeah. Yeah, because not only then will the umpire's decision be final, but that whole element of, I guess, questioning and undermining the umpire's authority and that basic tenet of all sports that the umpire is always right, Mm. that will be removed from the game altogether. And I think ultimately that should be where we're trying to to go with this. I mean, the point of technology is to improve and enhance the game. Can anyone say that the DRS system in this series has improved and enhanced the game. No, it hasn't, because not only has there been have there been controversies over whether or not the decisions have been correct, but ultimately the entire umpiring department, the ICC elite umpiring panel, has just come out of this looking like a bunch.
bunch of inept fools. Mm. I mean, there's talk now about saying, oh, we have to allow non-neutral umpires to stand in these tests. So basically insinuating that all these non-English and non-Australian umpires are just, yeah, absolutely useless. Mm. Now, I, that just strikes at the very heart of what sport is about to me, you know. Not only is there the principle that the umpire is always right, but there's also the, the values and I guess the moral code that that enforces in players, the ability and the good grace to accept the decision of the umpire, regardless of whether or not you agree with it, and go on with the game. Mm. I think right now... The, the review system, which is allegedly trying to help umpires, is actually doing them a hell of a lot more harm than good. Yeah, I agree. I think that it actually... All that this has highlighted is... And I don't want to use the, the phrase poorly trained, but it's that I think that the umpires are less likely to make hard or tough decisions because they're waiting for either the batting or the bowling team to DRS them out mm. of any tough spots. Well, it's almost like they're doubting themselves because they know... Yeah. Oh, you know, if I potentially get this wrong, then immediately the player is going to call me out on it, mm. and then the entire world is going to see just exactly how incorrect I got this decision. Now, I know that there's so much money involved with the game now, and the players' careers are on the line, and yada, yada, yada. You don't need to tell me the importance of sport, okay? There's one mm. thing I know, it's the importance of sport. And this is coming from a guy who saw his team pretty much get curtsied out of the ashes in 2009. But I just look at it and think... Sorry, I've lost my train but I think at the end of the day be that as it may were things really that bad when you just had to take the umpire's decision and lump it mm. when the odd inside edge onto the pads was given out LBW when the swing and the miss which resulted in back clipping pad was given out caught behind when you know all those sorts of questionable decisions you know the, the slight um, errors that were made in the decision making I think we were more willing to tolerate and accept those decisions before we had the technology because we still adhere to that principle that not only is the umpire always right but that ultimately these things will balance themselves yeah. out in the long run I think that that's the important thing is, is that in very it's very rare that it's that it's all downhill sailing mm. and you know by putting neutral umpires in place you should have mitigated yeah. any of that favourable stuff happening in the first place I mean the I guess the example is always raised about you know how someone's career could be ended because they're given out incorrectly or you know, India mm. could lose the World Cup due to a dodgy court behind decision for a 10th wicket partnership and stuff like that. But that's sport. That's mm. life. There are imperfections. It's not perfect. Yeah. Deal with it and get on with it. And I think that's what sport encourages people to do in general. Not only in terms of the competitive side of things, but also in terms of the values and the yeah the ethics that it instills in its players. And I, I would argue that any player or any team or anyone anywhere in the world who argues that the only reason they lost or they didn't get what they wanted to was because of an umpiring decision they need to go back and take a long hard look at themselves mm. because there is no way you can just single out one decision or one you know slight missed inside edge or one nick that wasn't paid you can't possibly point to that and say that was the single event that defined the course yeah. of the match the course of this player's career whether or not they get a one million dollar contract for the IPL mm. I think that that's true of every sport though but yes I think 
look, that's that's the critical thing is is that no no game is ever is ever one hundred percent impacted solely because of one decision. So let's just accept the umpire's decision as final, yeah. rather than question. It. Yes, India are laughing, but in the end of the day, I think they're probably proven right here. Yeah, but not for the reasons that they not, not took that stance. Yeah, no. I mean, they were more embarrassed about Sachin Tendulkar making a fool of himself with the reviews. They didn't care so much about the decisions. It was just more, oh, these demigod players can't be seen, you know, stuffing things up with views. Yes, That's right. a whole other issue, 